honestly, I was just working my way up to death. I thought about killing myself every day. I was using all the time, and I, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. My brother shot himself because of drugs. When you are using technology to lure children for sexual purposes, there's a couple of problems that concern me. But I remember feeling kind of relieved after hurting myself. Do you have any idea how much you were worth? I like to say it this way, great people are really built in the furnace of affliction. Our teens are navigating a world of information anarchy and increased stress and pressure. Drugs are glorified more than ever before and there seems to be a suicide option that didn't exist prior. As adults, we are responsible to provide the help at-risk teens need. Have teens changed or is it just the world they live in that's different? Is this why so many teens are traumatized or triggered? My name is Aaron Huey and in 2009, I opened a home for these teens with the hopes of giving them a second chance at creating the life we all know they deserve. Now I wanna give parents the information that contributed to our success and to support them in navigating the at-risk world. These are the stories told by the teens and the techniques used by experts to help them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Saying I don't wanna be in the family anymore, big powerful ways to say, things that she knows gets you and takes you off your center and knocks your guard down and gets you into an emotional place where you're not going to do your best parenting. I, look, she's known you for almost 13 years now. She knows every button trigger and lever. Oh, she's push. very manipulative, definitely. Yeah, I think, I think, and I'm recording this now so I can pass on the, uh, the recording to you um, guys okay. later. Um, but I think part of the reason is, part of the thing we got to do here is figure out why. Is that, you know, because it, because we don't become manipulative of our environment unless we are feeling that the environment's out of control and we're unsafe. Like manipulative behavior is crisis behavior. Manipulation and crisis are the same thing. And so there's a question about crisis that, that comes up when I hear a parent say manipulative. And just reading your little narrative uh, that you wrote, um, you know, it, it, it does. There's, there's something... Uh, there's something there that I want to uh, I want to see if we can uncover and address. Let me give you just one other piece that you probably sure. should know. She's adopted from Guatemala, and yeah. for the first five months of her adoption, she was starving, and she finally got relinquished. And then we got her at 14 months after she was in a very great host of foster parenting. The foster parenting, you said that was a good place. It was a good place because they only had like two kids all the time and she was one of them and the uh, foster mom just loved her to death. So, okay. Five year old. Five months was her. Yeah. Her, the first five months she did not have her needs met. So that's probably part of her control problems. When you say, is it five years or five months? Five months. Five months. Okay. Five months. And she was way underweight. Even her head circumference was so small. Okay. So she did not have enough nutrition in Guatemala. Okay. She was not even showing on the growth chart. Okay. So here's, here's what we got. Brian, um, something that Mary Lou and I were talking about just very briefly was that uh, a big value of yours is uh, being in um, relationship with her so that we're, we, you know, if we're going to be setting boundaries, if we're going to be drawing lines in the sand, what cannot be compromised is the relationship or um, at least connection with her. Is that correct? Can you, can you define that better if it's not? 
No, I think that's a good goal to have, I mean, have that process. And plus with these boundaries and stuff, it needs to be a mentoring process where she's, you know, learning to do this, but then sooner or later she'll be out on her own doing this stuff. Right. And learn that self-control. Yeah, boundaries leading to the the preparation for the real world rather than protecting them from it. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay, good. Good, good. That's a health that's a healthy train of thought. And now now the there's a couple things that need to be addressed and that one is um you know, are we in this moment? And let's let's talk about the phone piece. And and Brian, one of the things that came up, you know, is her saying things she she doesn't want to be in the family anymore. She hates she's using words like I, I hate things like that. We know, and she knows now for 13 years, 12 and a half years, 11 and a half years, she knows every single aspect of your guys' value system, your, uh, your buttons, your triggers, your lever levers. She knows how to push, pull and yank all three of those things to get you guys off your center uh, into an emotional space where you're not going to do your best parenting. And she knows how to do it to both of you. She knows how to split the two of you. She knows how to play the two of you against each other. Um, and just by proxy of that first five months and then the following year and two months uh, of her life, um, it's out of survival mode. Like, like this is, this is, she's going to get her needs met. And right now, fulfillment that... Uh, this phone and social media can provide is not something that she can get at home. And, it, and, and Brian, I find it very interesting that, that, you know, such a high value is the relationship piece. And that's exactly what these Pinterest, Facebooks, Instagrams, um, that's exactly what they are to these kids. They represent a form of relationship that we have absolute control over until it goes completely out of control in the same way that boys have a relationship with pornography it's an environment of intense emotional needs being met that they have 100 percent control over the time uh, every every aspect of it so this is her version of that kids uh who deal with adoption trauma and especially early formative months trauma like she's got um we got we got basic needs not being met and mary lou if you're talking about a talk i did a year ago that was the big one in the gymnasium at the high school yeah yes okay so i identified that there are there are five needs that uh, if, if we take her behavior and we move away from, um, you know, she's not capable of following contracts and she's not capable, or I'm sorry, she's not willing to follow contracts. She's not willing to follow house rules. She's not willing to manage her time on this screen. First of all, willingness or capability. That's what we've got to figure out if it's really going on. Is this really about willingness or is this about capability? I have a feeling um, it's more capability than willingness. I have a feeling okay. based on the, the basics that I know, she's less capable than we might think she is. She can be smart, she can be very clever, but Brian, one of the other things that I was saying right before you got on is, um, you know, Mary Lou used the word manipulative. And in this situation, you bet. If she's splitting mom and dad, if there's, uh, if there's finding holes, if there's just ignoring things. And then, uh, like, I, I saw an example of um, the, the kiddo 
you tell her what to do. She picks a fight with someone. If there's pushback, she screams and runs off. And then she's either acting like she's offline or she's actually gone offline and there's no real access. And that's manipulative behavior. We only manipulate our environment if we feel it's out of control and we are unsafe at every level, even if it's because we're hungry and had a crappy sugary breakfast and now we're having a major blood sugar crash and it's still an hour for lunch and we're cranky and someone says something and we say mean things to make them leave us alone and that's manipulative. So this being said, I want to start the conversation saying there's some needs not being met. We want her to be able to meet her own needs. She's getting them met through social media. Anybody who's spending that much time on social media is doing so out of necessity, not out of, we can't call her an addict. She's too young. So we're going to call it necessity in the same sense that it's altering her brain chemistry, keeping her from discomfort. um, She's in a place where um, this is fulfilling a need. Now our questions is, are, is it safety? Is it freedom? I'm writing them down as I talk. Is it a connection? Is it worth? Is it uh, power? Those are the five basic human needs. And if every single thing we do is an expression of need, power, worth, connection, freedom, and safety, one of those things, she's not getting met. And as soon as she logs on, it gets met. So she's going to stay on. What, what do you guys think is happening here? Um, you know, I would probably say there's quite a bit of connection there because in the past she has not had a whole lot of friends and just kind of this year um, she's really kind of started to make some friends and and I think she really enjoys that and puts a high value on that. So probably that connection portion. Okay. And well, probably a little bit of the power too where she says I'm I'm – I'm responsible. I'm, you know, like a little grown up or that I think she likes to see herself that way. Yeah, I think um, I think that power may be one of them because she's always been a little bit of a powerhouse just because she didn't have her needs met when she was so little. And I understand that she says, I need to control my own life. But I also think worse because I kind of feel like sometimes she doesn't feel like she's good enough because you know, she's always been like not doing the, she has a really like sister that just does so much better than her in terms of like being respectful and, you know, being like part of her church and things like that, that I think worth might be one of them. Is sister adopted as well or is sister bio? Bio. And she has a brother who doesn't really get along with her very much, who's 17 and he kind of, he doesn't interact too much with her and he's a bio too. Okay. Okay. Now we also know that safety has been a major piece for her in the first five years of her life. You tie us talk about starving and malnourishment and stuff. Her life was threatened. So the, the very basics of her, her creation was safety. She was not safe in this world. And that's something that we experience all the way back to the womb. Now, here's, here's where I'm starting to go with this. Quite frankly, if you guys keep a list of this on the refrigerator, just so you memorize these five things, it's not going to matter which one you think it is, 
which one the, your, your partner thinks it is, and the discussion that results in it, the benefit from the discussion, the benefit of you guys sitting here in this moment and analyzing this process is very simply, you have moved from your limbic system, your reactive survival, fight, flight, freeze, faint, fornicate, and feed that you've been living with your daughter. And now you're back in your prefrontal cortex. Now you're in the adult brain saying, okay, what's underneath this behavior? And that's the number one key to dealing with a kid. We cannot make spaces and we cannot make good decisions in the limbic. Our limbic brain is merely solely and totally bent on survival. If we can agree that the strongest nervous system in the house is going to win, then everything that I've heard so far tells me that she has the strongest nervous system in the house because she can throw a fit and undermine everything that we've set up, all the agreements go to, go to hell. Everything just comes apart because she can throw a fit or she can ignore it, or she can say some horrible thing. Like I hate you. Nobody loves me in this house. I wish I was dead and I wish I didn't live here. And everybody's, you know, how could uh, we've done so and everything that we've, and, and uh, you know, what did we miss? Now you're in survival mode. There's, there's no way to parent from that place. Best you can do is save your own life. And the best that we try to do in that place is try to save someone else's and it's impossible. So just by having the conversation, okay, I think it's connection. I think it's power. I think it's safety. I think it's freedom. I think it's worth. You're out of the space because now you're, you can't think those thoughts. So once we're moving forward into the prefrontal cortex, that's where we're going to be able to say, okay, what's going on, what's really going on, know really what's really going on, what can we control, okay, what can we really control, know really what can we control, and what's going to be a consequence that not only is effective here, because if the consequences don't hurt, the consequences don't matter, but it's also going to be a consequence that prepares her for the future. And the way I like to say that is what can we do that's going to get her to experience what the Taco Bell manager is going to do? If she, if she's working at Taco Bell and he says, go clean the fry later and she throws a fit, what happens? And that's the type of things that while we still have her at home, we can begin to practice in non-consequential ways so that uh, she can learn that lesson over and over. Now, you guys have a whole nother layer to this entire experience. And that's the adoption. This is a wound that cannot heal. This is a hole that cannot be filled. You cannot fill it. Um, the people who are supposed to fill it are may or may not be part of her life, but in the most important moments of her life at the very beginning, they weren't there and her survival was threatened for it. There is nothing an adoptive parent can do no matter how close you carry them to your chest in the African swaddle for the first three years of her life, she's facing the hole. And quite frankly, social media feels like it fills the hole. It doesn't. I can tell you that being a kid who's adopted. I can tell you that being, uh, and I was only adopted uh, uh, by my dad, my, my biological father I've never met. My mom is my mom. But that missing bio parent, the missing bio parents are irreplaceable. So this is a, the, the hardest part about this work is that this is a hole that cannot be filled. And she has to learn how to live with the hole. 
that's hard and there's nothing unless you exactly know what she's going through because you've had the exact same adoptive experience it's hard to teach her yeah we can't relate to that i don't think lou and i really can wrap our heads around that experience or that loss or that hole okay from that perspective identifying that social media is is releasing chemicals in the brain identifying that her brain is now mixed up toxic and nourishing giving up social media while means you can get out and hike you can connect with your family which is exactly what she needs to do is connect with a family she needs to connect with an unconditional loving source and social media is not that it's a controllable source but it is not a human touch unconditional loving source but her brain's mixed up what's toxic and what's, what's nourishing the withdrawal symptoms she's going to go through and i'm using the word withdrawal because you don't spend eight hours on uh, uh pinterest or snapchat or whatever god's name these kids are on now in this moment you don't spend eight hours on that and get off it and not go through withdrawal symptoms especially as if if it's fulfilling some of these needs so before i keep talking i want to stop there what else is coming up for you guys what are you thinking about what we're talking about so far i think this is great and i really like the five steps to focus or those five points freedom connection power safety worth we need to focus on that to try just to kind of support her and love her and then I, i'm assuming that then she naturally graduates gravitates to us and not to the phone is that what i'm hearing there's a that's a that's a powerful question brian because uh very simply you're asking the question is it better and let's let's think about us as adults you and mary lou and your relationship with each other do you guys look at each other as people who fulfill one or all of those needs for each other or do you fulfill those needs for yourself and attract a partner who does that for themselves and the two of you coexist? I have read research that shows both of them, both of those ideas are not only very functional and hyperfunctional, but dysfunctional. So it's a good chicken and an egg argument to say, if she's missing safety, it's up to us to create a safe environment. And then she can, her nervous system will relax, which means she will stay online and we can have a conversation about addiction, social media, connection with human beings. Because the moment you say, hey, I need you to put your phone down. And she goes, no, we're gone. It's done. There's nothing to say past that point. You might, as, right. well, you might as well talk about boiled broccoli because nothing's getting through. You, the, the, uh, uh, there's too many tabs open and now you've just got the spinning ball of doom and you're right. trying, to, trying to program more commands into her computer is just going to keep it shut down longer. You're absolutely right. And that's why like it's frustrating and it's hard to know what to do because you have a, where are we now? Where do we want to get? How do you get there? And it's the, how do you get there that I just have no idea. Got it. Got it. Okay. Before I'm writing stuff down, that's kind of our map to get there. Um, are there, are there any other things? And Brian, those five things, those are the five human needs, safety, freedom, connection, worth, and power. 
actually, and, and those I'm reading to you in the wrong order. If you put them in order, they're actually developmental for a child. So it'd be safety first, and then they hit, uh, um, and then there's uh, uh, um, worth, and then there's power, and then there's uh, connection, and then there's freedom. So we're up at freedom when we're a teenager and into an adult. Connection is our teen years. Um, the, the safety is in utero and the first 18 months, and then they hit those terrible twos and it's about power. And then from that uh, three years old to about 12 years old, it's worth. You know, who am I? And that worth thing is about developing self-concept, right? And once again, an adoptive child has damaged self-concept because they don't have a bio parent to be able to bounce off of uh, a system to reject, a system to adhere to, a system to argue with, a system. And then here these, here's this strange heartbeat, despite the fact that you guys have been there for 11 and a half years. Here's this heartbeat that is not triggering the biological developments. So she's still stuck in the toddlerhood of what am I worth? Am I not worth it? Am I not worthy? And that's, that's the hole that gets dug really, really deep and is impossible to fill, especially if we have no, we have sympathy. We might even have empathy, but we certainly don't have experience. So that's a, that's a tough one. Anything else before we start moving forward into solving some of these issues? No, I don't have anything else. No. Okay. How are you guys doing emotionally yourselves right now? Good. Yeah, I think good. I think we have a lot on our plate, but I think we're good. And within the last probably six months, Lou and I are on the same page in regards to Maggie and trying to work through it. So I think and we're doing well. Good. Okay, good. And, I and I, it's, hard, it's hard to hear that. It's hard to hear that, but it's good too. Yeah. And then, so let me ask... Real quick, I want to put this stuff in order. How's self-care going? What are you guys doing to take care of yourselves, not each other? What are you doing to take care of yourself on a daily basis? What's your routine that looks like self-care? You know, I've been enjoying listening to some audio books. Yesterday, I went for a walk for about a half an hour. I just, uh, I, I feel like I'm taking care of myself, getting enough sleep, um, taking care of myself. I feel like I'm doing okay with that. Good. Not that I have a workout routine or anything like that, but I just feel good. I wake up to I'm an audio book every day. Is that Mary Lou, Mary Lou, say that again. I'm doing a terrible job. How, it's, always, it's always the moms. What, what needs to change, Mary Lou, so that you can just feel better despite what's going on? Uh, I, I'm too busy, I think. I'm too busy to concentrate on what I need. So maybe that needs to change. Maybe. Yeah, it does need to change, yeah. <laughs> it is, there is nothing that's going to be gained. And I can tell you from the parents that, and, and I can tell you from the parents who are at my facility, whose children are at my facility, I, if you don't start a habit of self-care now, I can tell you what you're going to look and feel like in three years. And it will do nothing to support neither your daughter, nor your family system, nor your marriage. But most of all, you will suffer. Your health will suffer. You, you will start to experience caretaker's burden. The sleep will get worse. The stress and anxiety will lead you to food issues and sex issues. And 
this is this now that she's starting to set into teen let's let's be as honest as we can this is where she really goes crazy just by proxy of her being a teenager so this is where you have to start practicing happiness in spite of your environment and it's tough it's tough for dads but it's a hundred times tougher for moms and you got to do it you have to do it and it's because ever since you were a little kid you have been told and society has placed upon you that you have to think of everybody else's feelings first it's bullshit it's wrong and it's the opposite of what needs to happen if you want to really support maggie through this next part you must be doing that from your best place you have to sleep you have to eat healthy food and you got to find something that you love that engages your body on a daily basis Got it. Okay. All right. So now, now what we do is we pull the magic of the front load. So now we're working towards, we have a really good idea of why things are happening. There are needs not being met because she's adopted, because she's a teenager, because she's a girl, because she's in a family, because life. She's, got, she's getting those needs met with that screen. Now what we do is we now set down the front load. The front load is where we discuss the consequences and rewards. It's, we're going back to this behavior contract. I, I know you guys have had one and it fell apart. We're going to redo it. We're going to do it in such a way that it makes very clear what to, what's going to happen in the next year. Things we forget about contracts. When I look at behavior contracts written for teenagers, the biggest mistake is everything's about the teenager. Here's the rules you're going to follow, and here's the consequences if you don't follow the rules. That's not what a contract is. That's instructions. That's uh, a consequence for failure to follow instructions. Contracts are mutually beneficial and mutually uh, um, uh, mutually beneficial and all the consequences and rewards are spelled out. So Brian, this is where we take something like the harsh boundaries and we put them in a staggered such a way and we put the rewards for awesome personal management and we stagger those rewards in such a way so that it's very clear. And then the start date is on her, you know, one week after your 13th birthday, since that's coming up in May or something like that. Like, like the front load means we're going to have a conversation about the conversation we're going to have about the agreements we're going to make. And we express to her, if you would like to be part of this process, then um, you are welcome to. If you would prefer that the adults just make the decisions about your phone, about the internet, um, that's okay too. We're fine with either. So now what I'm doing is I'm sharing power because we got to meet that power need. So when we make uh, uh, offers like that, number one, we have to be good with every aspect that we offer. You can either be part of the conversation or you can let the adults have the conversation. Now, you, you had told me earlier, Mary Lou, she likes to call herself an adult and she can do adult things. Great. You know what adults do? We have tough conversations. So you're welcome to be a part of that conversation or the adults will have one. Now, we're, we're, we're having that conversation two weeks before the contract conversation. 
So we're giving two weeks notice. All right. This is how I'm creating an environment of safety. I'm not suddenly one day when I'm pissed off at her and she's gotten yelled at by the teacher for cheating on the test. I come in and left hooker with a new set of agreements. Yeah, I'm we're saying, pretty good at that probably. Well, and every, that's, that's yeah. a mistake that every parent makes because we tend, we were taught to parent from an emotional place as, yep. as Gen Xers. That's what our parents did. And we, we're either taking that on or we've gone 180 degrees from it and we've completely shut off and let our kids do whatever they want. 180 degrees of sick is still sick. So we got to find that middle spot. And that's where we acknowledge our emotions, but we don't parent from them. That's where we have our feelings, but they are, we realize that they are not consequence. Your emotions are not a consequence. So as we are, as we are saying, Hey, in two weeks, we're going to have a conversation about your 13th year and the cell phones and social media. Well, what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about it all together. We're going to make some rules. It's going to work for everybody in the house, including you. And if you would like to be a part of that conversation, let me know now. If you would like the adult, adults to decide what the rules are going to be, that's fine with us too. We would like you to be part of the conversation, but we're okay with both. So we'll talk in two weeks, okay? And then a week goes by and we say, hey, we were thinking either next Thursday night or Friday night, we would go and offer, we, we would go out to dinner and we would talk about the, the uh, phone contract. I got something to do Friday night. Okay, I know you, your friend was gonna come over and spend the night. So we're willing to do it Thursday night or Friday night. Are you saying you prefer Thursday night? Yeah, let's do Thursday. Okay, great. I don't know why we have to do this at all. I know. And we're not going to engage in that power struggle. Do you, remember, do you remember Mary Lou when I wrote up on the board, power struggle with a child? Yep. This is the thing. That's the insanity of adults. That for some reason we've gotten into our heads that we have to prove to children that we are smarter than them. No, that's not necessary anymore. We do not have to discuss our process of coming up with good ideas or bad ones for that matter because it creates a power struggle so now we write down ideas and remember contracts are negotiable so you guys have to decide your blue chips and your bargaining chips blue chips are things that are non-negotiables there will be no naked pictures either received or sent there will be no adult websites. There will be no, and we set, these are non-negotiables. If they happen, you will lose all phone privileges immediately and therapy will begin because these things we will not have in our house. Now, these are things we want to make sure are against not only parents' values, but home rules and the law. So that we are saying we are willing to follow the law. Those are non-negotiables. They do not require or nor do they hold space for any discussion. Well, I don't understand because my friend, well, that's sad. But in this house, we are not willing to allow people to break the law using electronic devices. Now, one of the mistakes we make with, with um, phones like, like for example i saw every time she breaks a phone the insurance company would replace it with a better one what a brilliant what a brilliant plan um for a child to accidentally quote end quote break their phones so that they get a new one 
Um, so we're going to stop trying to make this about the phone. You guys have control over the internet and you guys have control over her cell service. If she would like control over these things, then she must pay her part of the bill each month. Now, the reason why we're doing this is because this is what adults do. So you may choose, you may act like an adult and you may pay, you may get a job and you may pay, you cannot pay from your savings. Why it's my money? Because that's savings. Bill money does not come from mom and dad's savings. Bill money comes from our necessities. That's the money we spend each month. If you would like to move some of your money into necessities for your bills, well, that makes sense to us, but you need to remain 50% in your savings, right? But here's your portion of the monthly bills. And there are two bills. There's the internet bill and there's the phone bill. And the internet bill is the house bill and the phone bill is the mobile bill. And she would get her portion of those bills that she would owe you guys on the first of each month. If she pays those, then she would have some vote and say over how much time she's going to spend on her phone. But if she doesn't pay for those bills, if she would like to be a child, as far as bills are concerned, that makes sense because she's 13. But that means you need to understand, that means that mom and dad are willing to let 30 minutes, or let's be realistic, let's call it an hour and a half, of social media time per day and an hour and a half of online computer time, but an hour of that is schoolwork. This is what we're willing to portion out for you. If those numbers are not honored, then the numbers will decrease and you will lose privileges. Now, what this means is you guys have to, um, Brian, Mary Lou said that you're, you're part of um, like operations, like building operations over there at Children's? Yep. Okay, so you know how to turn, do you guys know how to turn uh, 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 passwords on and off? You know how to change the password easily on a daily basis? No, actually we don't, have, we don't do that a lot. I'm changing things on and off. I mean, um, so no, but uh, we can figure that out if we oh, think yeah. that would be the next step. Well, that's where it goes. We're so, and so, so that's our first one is how much time you're willing to let her use the internet for her own things, for her own free time, okay? We are not willing to let kids have the phone past eight o'clock in the evening. We are not willing to have the phone at dinner table. Um, so dinner is with family and after dinner um, and after chores are done, then you may have a little bit more time on the phone, but at 8.30, it goes on the charger in the kitchen. Now, said, now here's, here's where we forget about contracts. So far, it's everything she has to do. No, this is everything that the family's going to do. Everybody's phones go up. Nobody's phones at the dinner table. Everybody's phones go onto the kitchen charger, and it stays in the kitchen. If we need to lock it down, we'd hope we don't have to because we're all capable beings of following rules. And the feeling of power is going to come from discipline. So we're going to leave them out there. But if we need to get a little lockbox for them, we're happy to. Now, when she first comes home from school, we say, here are the following chores, maybe about 45 minutes worth of chores, half hour worth of chores. Like, let's be realistic for a 13-year-old girl. When these chores are done, 
please uh, uh, connect with mom or dad and we will give you the password for the day. And so when she comes home, the internet's been changed. She doesn't have access to it. She's got her phone. We, we make the struggle over the phone. If, if you've given her the phone, if she calls it her phone, if you call it her phone, you taking it is not teaching her a lesson of the real world. But you pay for the internet. You pay for the phone service. If you don't like what's going on, if you're not willing to enable or support what's taking place, turn it off. And she can turn it on when she gets a job and she can get her own uh, um, uh, program. Oh, you can't get a program at 13 years old? Oh, I didn't even think of that. Well, what are some ideas that you have? Well, I think you should just turn it back on. I know. But I'm not willing to watch you, watch any child of mine spend eight hours on the phone when there's a family that loves them. And I hate it here. I know. I'm going to take out that emotional reaction, that emotional trigger. So this contract is spelling everything out. Remember, this contract conversation is coming two weeks after our conversation that we're going to have a contract conversation. And if she doesn't want to participate, you shut it off. And when she says, why did you shut it off? I said, well, it, the details were in the contract. You didn't want to have that conversation with us, which I understand, daughter. These are uncomfortable conversations. What I'm willing to do is that if you get your laundry put in and clean your bathroom, like I had asked over the weekend, I'm willing to give you the password for today. And we start having it. It's not about what she should or should not do. She's not there developmentally yet. In girls, that doesn't really develop until about 18 to 25. And girls do it way sooner than boys do. But she is not capable of making the types of decisions that shows she can manage her life. She's a 13-year-old girl in crisis, adoption wounds, et cetera, et cetera. So we control the things. Our conversation is not about what she should or should not do. It's about what we as parents are and are not willing to do or enable. So the conversation is about our value system, not about her choices. That's where it has to change for the family. And that is written in the contract. When she sees the contract and you guys go through the contract together, she has to see that mom and dad are changing too. This is not a Maggie issue. This is a family issue. In the same sense, when parents say, oh, these video games and my kid's addicted to video games. I'm like, okay, who bought it? Who built it? Who marketed it? Who? These are all things that adults do. And then we're mad how the children use it because we expect them to manage it. So we got to pull back and say, what? And this is where the unity of the last uh, uh, six months that you guys have had is really going to start to pay out. As a family, your family value system, what are you willing and not willing to provide her? Anything you tolerate will continue. And anything that you enable will get worse. So as you guys make your decisions, as you guys offer the bargaining chips, for example, the phones will go up on the thing at 7.30 and that will be it for the night. 7.30, that's really early. I can't believe you do that. Do you have a different option? Do you have a different offer? Are you, do you want to negotiate this? Well, what about 10.30? Hmm, 10.30 is a little late. I'm not willing to let people in this house compromise their health by losing sleep. How about 8.30? How about nine? 
Yep, you know what? We could do nine. How about nine? You reach across the table, you shake hands. That's how we negotiate rather than manipulate. And we are now teaching her how to negotiate. So when we come to the contract with bargaining chips, we're going to lowball or we're going to highball and we're going to negotiate forward. If she cannot negotiate without going into that dark space, then we just say time out. I, I, we were trying to help you learn how to negotiate. And I think we might've done this wrong. So here's what I'm saying, honey, a lot of these things we have on purpose made the wrong times for, because we all as a family need to work on how to have a conversation when we disagree. This is not just a Maggie thing. Mom and dad struggle with this too. So when we say seven 30, honest to God, Maggie, we don't really expect it to be seven 30. But rather than name calling and stuff, there's another way to try this conversation. So let's do a do over. Let's have this conversation again. And this time, I just want you to get the hint. 730 is not realistic. It's our opening offer. We don't think you're going to like it. But instead of yelling, make a different offer. All right, I'm going to stop there. Answer any questions, comments, concerns, criticisms, clarifications. I think this is a great starting point to kind of have that conversation and to say what we're going to do, because I don't think we really define that. So I think that would be a good portion. And we didn't do a front loaded conversation. It's like, here it is. That's that. You know, she does shut down with negotiations. So then uh, you just try to encourage her. But what if she doesn't negotiate? Like even when you say, I didn't expect this, like she tends to shut down instead of that. So what do you do if she doesn't involve herself? Great. So especially with adoptive kids, this is where we have to start filling in some of the gaps um, that they missed when they were very, very young. And I'm not saying you guys missed them because I have no, if you guys didn't give a shit, you wouldn't be on the phone with me. So please understand that, that I am hundred percent acknowledging you guys as adoptive parents and what you've taken on here. And this is Standard. I at any point in time, 60 percent of my kids at the facility are adopted kids. It's a rough one. So I admire and I acknowledge you guys for what you're taking on. When she goes into shutdown mode, our first thing we have to do as parents is recognize that now our needs aren't being met. Now we feel powerless, worthless, disconnected. Um, we don't feel safe. And um, we're, what's my other one? Uh, and freedom is definitely being limited by the, the, we keep ending up in this place that never works anyway. So the moment we feel ourselves start to get frustrated, angry, mad, sad, anxious, we recognize that we're going into an emotional space. And we say, and I, and I want you, I want you to really get this part because it matters how you say it, not what you say. You could say in the most loving, powerful tone, God damn it. You piss me off. You could say in the most ridiculous survival limbic system. I love you. And the most powerful, God damn it. You piss me off. Loving tone will win because it's coming from a stronger nervous system. When she shuts down, she is shutting down because it will fulfill her needs. You guys will back off. You guys will back down. You guys will compromise what you originally agree on. She'll go into a, a dark conversation or a place that she automatically wins and the whole house then bows around her, which fulfills her need of work. But if she goes into a shutdown, we say, 
Hey Maggie, honey, um, this is hard and we don't know what we're doing with this either. And we really are trying to do the right thing. If it would feel better if we stop doing this right now and maybe try it again tomorrow, that would make sense to us. But we just want to make sure that we're all talking and using this low tone of voice and being really soft and almost even talking to her like she's a baby because that will make her feel safe. And if she says, I hate it here. I know, sweetie. I know it's so frustrating and hard. I know you're so angry at us. That makes sense. Would you like to do it later? I don't care. Okay, let's do it later. I love you. And we maintain our central nervous system balance. That's the connection piece. That's the piece that she's needing, that she can walk away from the table and know that she's not alone because we're sending our love with her because we're not being triggered when, when she's, she's going to do, she's going to do something. The moment she starts to flail outwards, the moment she starts to panic and say, Oh, my world is spiraling out of control. And that makes me unsafe. And honest to God, Brian, Mary Lou, that's what's happening here. Anything she is not in control over makes her feel unsafe. We call adoptive kids, the warrior archetype. They are, they are swords up and shields up. And quite frankly, the words, I love you, are a threat of abandonment because the people who were supposed to love her aren't there. That's how ass backwards this entire experience with adoption is, is that you can be so connected and say, I love you so much. And, you know, we're your family and we're here. You're just reminding them that they were abandoned by the people who should have loved them. That's tough. Doesn't mean you don't say it. It just means that you're in your prefrontal cortex when you're saying it, realizing it might backfire in your face and sometimes saying, I'm sorry that you're hurting. I'm sorry that we're making you so angry right now. I'm so sorry that you're really pissed at us. It makes sense. But dang it, you guys, if she goes to her room and is able to log on to her phone, uh, you lose. If she goes to her room and she can't log into our phone and she comes out and she goes, my phone won't log on. Oh, I know, honey, we, we've changed the password. Well, can I have it? Once we have a conversation that's really working. Yes. And it's that tone of voice that I'm bringing to the table that is like holding an adoptive baby to your heart. If you are telling her what she should and should not do, she will power struggle because she can argue with that. If you tell her that these are about what you are willing and not willing to do, she can't argue with it. She can be mad at it and she's allowed to be mad at it. And she doesn't need a reminder that this is your value system and this is what you believe in. And she, 11 years, she studied your value system. And right now she's rejecting it because she has to create her own. This is self-concept time. So she's got to create her own value system. So she's going to reject yours because that's what every kid does. I'm going to be me by not being you. You guys all want to hang out and talk about stupid stuff at dinner. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. She will one day. This will, this will land later. But for right now, when it's time to have that conversation, we've turned off the internet and nobody's phones away. Let's not bring our phones to the table for this. Well, my friend, she's in a really bad space. I'm sure. But right now we're going to have a family conversation and I'm willing to have this family conversation with no phones. If you are not willing to have this family conversation right now without a phone, we can try again later without phones. But this family conversation will be had without phones. 
Well, give me the password. I'm sorry, honey. When we have the family conversation, we'll talk about the password. And it's that tone that's going to matter more than anything. All right. Thoughts, concerns? No, thank you so much. I think this is great. You've given us so much of your time when you have like your traveling coming up. So, so do this first contract just around the phone. Don't bring anything else into it. Remember there are rewards for good phone management. An extra half hour here, a new phone on her birthday. I don't know. You guys figure out what you're willing and not willing. The rule is whatever helps you sleep at night, do that. If, if, if you giving her a new phone on her birthday is not you taking care of yourself, do not do it. That's rule number one. Rule number two, it's about your relationship. Your marriage is more important than her happiness because there is no guarantees to her happiness. Her wound may be such that no matter what you do, no matter how much therapy, she will not be happy. So your marriage is going to be a foundation point that she will be able to build a happy future on. If you're both taking care of yourselves and your marriage, you will provide the strongest, even when you disagree, you will provide more unity when your marriage is your second priority. Her happiness, her, her well-being is your third. No matter how bad it gets, she's three. Your kids are three. You're first, your marriage second, your kids third. Because in that way, we do our best work with our kids. Heard that before. Yep. It is. I, I cannot stress it enough, and it's the number one thing we teach par parents. Because if you're happy no matter what they're doing, the biggest reward is that you've taught them how to do it because they learn through what we model, period. They will take care of themselves. They will take care of their marriages, their relationships, their adult friendships, and then everything else will come third. And that is how we be happy people. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility, and also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com, join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos. Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com. <laughs>